0: Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're sitting at SCI Lighting Solutions in their downtown LA office. It's our touchdown podcast studio here in LA these days. And today we're lucky enough to have Paul Picard on the podcast. He's the CTO of Chorus, the parent company for EcoSense. Paul's been in lighting for quite some time. He's worked at a few big name companies, he's done a lot, and he certainly understands what it means to have LED technology and implement it into things. Today, we're sitting here to talk to Paul a little bit more about what it means to develop product, what the social responsibility behind that is, and really how do you develop for the right reasons? Paul, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Going good. It's good to see you, good to have you here. I've got to admit, I always enjoy being in Los Angeles. It's a nice place, it's fun to hang out and um I feel bad I should have given you this side of the table because there's a beautiful outline of a not so hazy sky and I think some pretty muddy mountains behind you with the skyline of downtown LA. LA's home for you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and what you've been up to lately.
1: Well, we just recently launched Chorus, as you alluded to. So kind of taking our internal technology focus that we've been utilizing and implementing for the past four or five years, really, but haven't really been talking too much externally about and and kind of putting a public face on that and, uh, and starting to really talk about the technologies we're developing and where we think the industry should be going.
0: Now, Ecosense was a company that was founded quite some time ago, and you focused a lot on what it means to take quality white light out of this novel concept we call an LED (laughs) light emitting diode and put some optics over it and you've spent a lot of time really trying to refine that. So today the conversation isn't necessarily around you know eco sense or chorus so much as it is really just what it means to be a manufacturer and have that opportunity to really think through what's required and how you get from beginning to end. Before we dive into that, Tell everybody, who's Paul, and how did you get your start in lighting?
1: I kind of fell into lighting early on in my career. I was uh, working for a startup that flamed out, as most do, and uh, had an opportunity to come and work for this company called Lithonia Lighting. Acuity Brands didn't exist yet at that point, and started with Lithonia, became Acuity while I was there, and, and ended up running engineering for a good portion of their commercial business. I ended up working for a little startup called LED Lighting Fixtures that got bought by Cree. Did some interesting things, some of the first LED lighting fixtures in the marketplace. And uh, right before I left, Cree was part of the bulb team that launched the uh, first sub-$10 light bulb in Home Depot. And then uh, got recruited to come and work for Ecosense here in Los Angeles.
0: Through all of that, you've obviously seen a variety of different products, a variety of different, I'll just call it culture styles, at companies, one thing's always kind of remained constant for you. And that is, how do we create a technology that's innovative that's something different when we talk about things that are high-tech today define that a little bit for me where is tech in the lighting industry
1: So I think there's multiple answers to that. There's kind of the perceived answer. So you get buzzworthy sort of phrases that everybody latches on to. It's IoT or it's smart lighting or something along those lines. And that seems to be where everybody's consciousness is focused. And I think there's great opportunities there, don't get me wrong. So wireless communications and edge intelligence and the ability to network things and be able to gather data and then deploy that data. I don't know that we as an industry have necessarily kind of landed on the killer app for that capability yet, but I have no doubt that as people continue to experiment with it, we'll get more and more value from there. But I think some of the more interesting things are a little bit more esoteric or maybe a little bit more difficult now that we're moved from an analog system into a digital lighting system. Back in the day, when I first started in lighting, you had sources. They were provided by these huge companies. They basically showed up and said, here are your choices of fluorescent lamps that you can put into
0: different things. You want this T8 lamp? (laughs) It's four feet long. Yeah, do anything you want with it exactly (laughs) exactly yeah we're not gonna you know limit your capabilities at
1: all no so the ability to basically operate in varieties of form factors to operate in ways where you control things differently whether because it's part of the the networking algorithms or whether it's part of how you control the LED specifically for flicker free performance for instance or to be able to enable some interesting capability sets or to even custom build light emitters which more and more people Are now doing it gives you this really broad access to technology field that is encompassed by uh, solid state lighting, and it allows for application spaces really to open up that haven't been available not even ten years ago. Could we have done the things that we can do today? So I I think that's where the the more interesting elements of high tech basically roll in.
0: It's not necessarily the all encompassing tech world; rather, it's just technology is helping innovate light and its capabilities when it comes to creating truly unique form factors and capabilities that just weren't around before. So much of what's going on in the lighting industry is a lot of growth right now. We were tossing numbers around earlier this morning, but there's a a pretty solid number out there of $50 billion globally around the entire world of what the lighting industry is today. It goes without saying the population continues to grow. More buildings are being built. Electricity is something that people, generally speaking, are going to have more access to, lighting is going to continue to grow because it has a fundamental purpose. And when you look at that fundamental purpose, talk to me a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes with the people that understand those big numbers and the opportunities out there in terms of how that market may continue to grow.
1: I think from overall market growth, there's a really interesting dynamic with light. And that's the more of it that you have, the more of it you continue to want to consume. It's one of those things where when you have a little bit, you look at that and go, that's great. What if we could have more? Especially true in outdoor environments, and there's some challenges with that from an environmental standpoint. So I think we've got opportunities not only to grow, but also to redirect kind of how we deploy light in spaces where people are having to coexist with the rest of nature and and what that sort of impact is. But fundamentally, the capability to provide lighting for entertainment, for productivity, for comfort, or impact, uh, for emotional impact. That offers us an opportunity to continue to grow the industry and to develop new footprints and new capability sets over the course of uh, the coming years.
0: And when you look at those <clears throat> capability sets and the growth, I think that there's opportunities to define that. but then there's also maybe just a the theory behind where we're going. When you look at that landscape of, what we have today, what we might want to do, and what we're just going to sit here and talk about. Where does that conversation start? How does it go from it's totally out there, pie in the sky, to not only we can do this, but we're going to do this tomorrow? From my perspective, the capability to kind of integrate research,
1: for instance. So one of the things uh, that we've been talking about has been kind of circadian lighting or, or lighting that affects people from a sleep and health standpoint. So that's not something that's that's been around forever, right? This is something that even the circadian biologists haven't figured out fully yet and it was only really discovered 20 years ago. As more and more research is done, you have organizations that will take a look at that and say, we think there's enough data, there's enough evidence here that you could do something that's better. And my hope is that, I mean, that's certainly the way that we've approached this as a topic. My hope is that's the way the industry is approaching this as a topic, which is not necessarily, hey, people are interested in this and we can go and make some money by branding something in a particular fashion. But there's data that says we're not just lighting spaces so that you don't trip over things in the dark. We're lighting spaces in order to affect your physiology in the way that more closely resembles what would happen in a natural environment. And that's going to create greater productivity, greater health uh, for the people that live in these lit environments. And therefore, because we have enough, we may not know things terribly specifically or to the nth degree to say this is absolutely the answer, but we know enough to say we know we can do better. And at that point, then there becomes kind of this social contract that, okay, if you know it can be done better and then you just say, but we're not going to because it's hard or Or uh, expensive or
0: expensive or doesn't fit with, you know our business model of the day or what we're selling or a billion other things right Right.
1: there's plenty of opportunities to say well no that's not something we're going to do but i would hope uh, that we as an industry could embrace the opportunity that's there to basically take something and say yeah Uh, what we've done for the past 50, 60 years uh, with artificial light hasn't been sufficient for people. And now that we're starting to understand what those possibilities are, now let's go
0: and try and do better. I want to back up to that, you know, it's not sufficient for people. That's, again, sort of predicated on the fact that we've Mm -hmm. just learned more. Mm -hmm. And and you and I talked about that a little bit before we push record on this podcast this morning. But it's super interesting that we are, as an industry, trying to figure out how to become more of the design fabric. We want to be so woven in to everything when it comes to design that lighting's a topic of conversation in every single design meeting. Now we know that, like you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the built environment, and as you mentioned, even in the exterior environment. But when you look at both manufacturing and design in the whole ecosystem of the lighting industry, and you think about what can we do, we have to innovate. We have to, as an industry, collectively, no matter what your role or responsibility is, say, how is this gonna come into play, right? How are we gonna sell the value of lighting more? How are we going to reinvest all of our profits in our own industry into research and establish more research institutions? Because that's one of our biggest problems, right? You can independently fund research at your business or company, but is that where it should be? should it be at a third-party academic organization lighting is still just really still just trying to get our our legs under us some days which is both a good thing and a bad thing it's a good thing because it means there's so much to do it's a bad thing because we don't want to be left behind the one thing I always think about is well the industry is not actually that old what are we we're 60 70 years old in terms of like real architectural lighting and, and fixture manufacturing around t A. lamps, and of course now that's the size of my pinky that I put out six times as much light. When you think about that innovation, when you think about what's going to drive us forward as an industry, given the fact that we're at where we're at, as you just described, where do we go? What's our collective approach?
1: With regards to collective action, absolutely, right? I think we as an industry have been fairly immature about how we approach big topics of innovation and providing platforms for especially North American manufacturers to be successful. I talk to folks in the the major conglomerates and everybody always has the same conversation, which is about China Inc. And gosh, everything's, you know, you go from people can buy this for half as much, a third as much, a quarter as much. They'll get it direct from a purchase straight through the distributor sort of arrangement. And what value does the North American manufacturer bring to the table beyond it can light up the space, right? You're not gonna trip over your desk when you're trying to, trying to make your way through the office. I think there's gobs of opportunity for the industry to say what are collectively interesting things that we want to do to innovate, to move the science of light forward, whether that's occupant experience, whether that's uh, physiological impact, whether it's uh, networking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everybody right now, the people that can afford to, that, that can afford to put money into research, they do it for essentially their own internal benefit, and then they launch their solution that they've been able to carve a little slice out and say here's my piece of innovation, so this should, this should be an opportunity For for me to generate market share, but you're basically already at a different tier than you are the bottom feeder manufacturers, and you're you're stealing market share away from other people who are also at your same tier. What we really need to do is create an environment where we say this has got value over and above this plain Jane basic. Yes, it puts out light, uh, sort of thing.
0: I'm just gonna say it. It's crap. (laughs) <laughs> that happens to put out light that's punishing all of us. Exactly. And just because it's cheap and just because it put lights in the space, it's not the right solution. Exactly. And everybody that's passionate about lighting, that designs for lighting, that works for a specification grade manufacturer. Now, listen, I'm not going to say, you know, that crap doesn't have a place, but it's in the janitor's closet. It's in the basement that people go into once a year. It's the seventh and eighth level of the parking garage underground that get used four times a year. But when it comes to spaces that people are in, we've gotta put good lighting because we know it makes an impact how are we driving that forward? I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive in more to this. We're going to talk about that social responsibility of this entire industry to not only stand up for ourselves, but unify ourselves so that the crap stays where it belongs. The specification and innovation continues to push us forward. Sound good? Sounds great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. This podcast is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you this podcast and a bunch of fun, short, informative videos. They're on YouTube. They're on social media. Anywhere you're at, LightEye's at. Check them out. L-Y-T-E-I dot and welcome back over the break paul and i were just catching up a little bit more about how there really is this incredible responsibility of our industry to make sure that we've got each other's backs to make sure that when it comes to spent grade lighting when it comes to good quality lighting things that are going to last things that are going to do what they need to do every single day and be controlled and be dynamic and be able to adapt are all something that's super important and really it's not just one person's responsibility or company rather the industry Paul talked to me just a little bit more about that next step how assuming that everybody is unified and we are because we all care about what we're doing what we really need to push forward what we need to poke through to instead of having to convince people they need lighting be reinforcing why they've already made the right decisions?
1: I think there's multiple opportunities. There's opportunities with the technologies that exists today, and then there's opportunities with the technology that is in the process of being developed and deployed or will be deployed over the coming few years. I think in all cases, one of the missing links is kind of real-world application sort of research, the challenge with doing any sort of impact. And it gets done. Uh, The DOE will do studies. PNNL will do studies. Uh, You'll see studies come out from various research institutes. But for the most part, if they are real world implications, right? If they're done in offices or hospitals or whatever the case might be, it's very small scale. And it's necessitated by the fact that there's just not that much money to be spent on doing these kind of studies. And so you don't have anything where you can come out and say, here, right? There is definitive data that I can put in front of a CFO of a major corporation and say, look, this shows you. If you were to put good lighting into your space versus crap lighting into your space, your people are 5% more productive. How much money do you spend out of your overall budget on electricity for lighting your spaces compared to how much money do you spend on people? And the answer is probably that you spend two orders of magnitude, like 100x, on people in terms of what you spend on electricity. And so if the answer is, I could spend 10% more, 20% more, 30% more on my capital expenditure for my lighting, and I can make my people a little bit more productive, a little bit more capable, a little bit more healthy even. If you could show that definitively, It's a complete slam dunk from a CFO standpoint. You don't even need to go to the facility guys and and everything else. You can come back. You don't have to have these conversations anymore. Like why are we spending so much money on lighting? Or we spent too much money on doorknobs and trim and now we need to VE the, the lighting to make up the shortfall. People don't necessarily cut out value when they see it. What they cut out is what they think is money that they think is not providing value. So if what they look at and say, well, I can get the same thing for less money, then they're always going to try and uh, optimize their
0: spend. I'm going to stop you right there. It's the same thing for less money. You and I are sitting here smiling. I know that is not the case. Now, light is fundamentally what allows us to see. It's how we kind of function as human beings every day. If you're sitting out there listening to this, wondering what the hell I'm talking about, just walk around with your eyes closed for the next hour and see how easy everything is and then take an appreciation for this industry and how much of an impact it has. It's not the same thing. Everything is different. Every design, every detail, every optic, every diode combination. Talk to me a little bit more about the challenges behind or the differentiating necessity behind why everything is different. And why we actually may seemingly be replicating our industry five times over, but we're not. We're continuously changing things and there's tweaks. There's
1: little things that make a big difference. And so you talk about optics, right? They're easy to pick on. They're super easy to pick on. Yeah. Of we have an industry have done better over the course of the past five or ten years than we have uh, when we first started off uh, with LEDs, but still not great. And you take a look at spill light or stria or glare that come off of optics, and it can be the difference between something that is a very pleasing, very comfortable environment to be in and very well-defined in terms of the emotional impact versus something that is distracting and ill-defined. And it could be the difference between saying, I'm going to take manufacturer X and pull that that out and manufacturer y has this device that has the same specs on the data sheet but it costs five bucks less and so i'm going to pop that in there and you've basically destroyed the intent of the design by doing that so it's super straightforward to basically throw a a wrench into the machine
0: that's a strong word you've destroyed the intent of the design by saving five dollars per unit you got to break that down you got to explain that just a little bit more because i personally think that's true but i'm not letting you off the hook (laughs) uh so i'm
1: speaking a little bit out of turn uh, i'm probably speaking a lot out of turn because i'm a technologist i'm a person who's spent his career in lighting building tools for the actual artists to paint their canvas with right they so,
0: would agree with what you're talking about so
1: though. the 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 lighting designer is the one who creates the design gosh i'm actually i'm i can i'm getting uh That's goosebumps fine. right okay. now yeah, yeah the best environments that you walk into they take your breath away and oftentimes you don't I mean, I do, but most people do not know why. You walk in and go like... Oh my God. Like this is the most amazing thing
0: I've ever seen. This is sick. This looks cool. People don't go, wow, look at that backlight detail on the inverse <laughs> cove lighting. And the fact that I can't actually see any light source. They're just like, wow, this is cool. This is awesome. Whether it's an office space, whether it's a retail environment, and I'm not letting you off the hook, $5 per unit difference. And h- how does that kill that? And how does it change it? And now I walk by
1: someplace that used to basically the, the light magically appeared in this location and I had no clue where it was coming from. Or I can walk by that same location and I have to squint as I get hit in the face with the source that basically has an off-axis spike of light that now has me turning and looking at the ceiling to figure out where is that
0: coming from and why is that so annoying? And I've, Or it's deterring you. Or it's, or it's not on because it failed. Or, or it's, it's shifted in color. color. Exactly. <laughs> and it's pink instead of white. Or, 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 or. I mean, these are all subliminal things that go into the manufacturing process, that go into the technology process that you saw so well-defined for us earlier that aren't on spec sheets, that people just almost take for granted when you have a reputable company that has integrity behind it. I don't want to bash companies that maybe have a different level of integrity because their addressable market is just different. The problem herein lies, you know, how do we say, well, there's nothing wrong with this, I referred to it as crap earlier which was strong but we're passionate on this podcast right the stuff that maybe doesn't take in all these considerations versus the stuff that does and an issue becomes well let's just save five dollars and they look to be the same thing how do we clearly define what buckets the appropriate level of technology and innovation goes into and whose responsibility is that to uphold is it the lighting designer or is it the industry
1: So I think there's a role for both, clearly. I know that lighting designers face these challenges all the time, right? They come in and say, I specifically chose this particular product for this particular design because it does this very well. And in order to maintain the integrity of my design, this is the product that you need to implement. That doesn't always happen. Spec doesn't always get held and things can get substituted on jobs. But if the industry were to provide a greater opportunity for objective descriptors, that would allow us to say, this is how you can tell. And I'll use optics as an example, whether it's improved modeling capabilities, right? So I'm gonna diverge a little bit, but like an IES file is taken from 20 feet away. It obscures a bunch of really small details that happen in the near field of a product that you just won't pick up. And things that look very small and inconsequential on the IES file, things that basically get lost in the IES file will show up glaringly in a near field render, but we don't have that data. Like nobody, we don't have a way for us to gather that data. We don't have a way to give it to the customer and the customer doesn't have a way to use it other than basically getting a sample of the product and putting it up against a white wall and saying, see, I see this problem right
0: here. This is a problem. Which still doesn't do it because it's just a moment in time. Exactly.
1: So I think the industry has opportunities to say, the way we describe what we do are insufficient. Uh, They're insufficient to provide the level of proof to the end customer for them to understand when you make this trade-off this is what you're giving up versus just saying trust us it's much better we pay attention to optics or trust us the lighting designer he knows, she knows, this is a better system. They're telling you that you should be using our product. Trust them and put it in there. There's very little objective evidence when it comes to these very important details about how lighting is implemented into spaces. And I think that's something that we as an
0: industry could address if we chose to do so. I think you're referring to the IES handbook and all the codes and standards and all these other things that are, so to speak, out there today that have somewhat defined it around the industry, but we've got to take it Past that technical nature of what we know. And we've got to figure out how to clearly kind of come together and define that and pass that along past what we care about. All things considered, this is a very real conversation, something that so many people would hope, want, and maybe even pray for that could happen. But time is finite. We're not going to have a bajillion hours as an industry to get everybody's time and sit down and explain it to them. So we've got to come up with a thing, a system, a report, a project. Um, we've seen Lead try to do this in the past. We've now seen the Well Building Institute come out and try to do this holistically. And it's almost as if the lighting community needs to kind of figure something out like that. It doesn't need to be a plaque on the wall, but maybe it should be directly related to productivity, increased foot traffic. I mean, things that are measurable. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, everybody has a budget on a project. I always like to say the owner is going to pay for everything one way or another. They don't want to spend money on good lighting. They're going to pay for it later by crappy environment and reduce sales. And that's or, going to hit them harder, right? Yeah. Or
1: absenteeism and uh, and sick days or whatever the case might be, right? Yeah. The lit environment has a direct impact on the people that occupy it. And therefore, the capability to build the best lit environment that you possibly can for those people. Like I was saying before, even from just a straight CFO standpoint, money you spend on the people far outstrips the money that you spend on either the lighting or the energy in order to provide the lighting for those people.
0: We've talked a lot about how there's a big social responsibility here, not necessarily on one individual. Rather, it's it's an industry. And there's a lot to think about here. I want to give us a pat on the back real quick, though, because we are doing a lot in this industry to further advance it and fighting for it. When you look at the landscape of where we're at today, I mean, 2021, as compared to 2010, LED recess two by twos, let's pick on them. We're sitting under, well, those are one by twos actually. You know, they were $555 at one point in time. Now they're $125 and they look a lot better and they save a ton of energy they do. and they have built-in controls and they dim to 1% and we've done a lot of good stuff here. But everything I just mentioned probably isn't something somebody's thinking about when they look at a recess product in the industry. So, you know, how have we done? What's our report card and how do we check out and how can we continue to improve?
1: I'd say we're a pretty solid B uh, from my perspective. We've done some really good stuff but we haven't gone above and beyond. We've improved the efficacy. LEDs are now by far, especially in interior spaces, the most efficient thing that you could possibly deploy into uh, an interior space for the lit environment the optics have gotten better right gosh can you remember back to the early days of led when people were just throwing leds you could walk through uh, light fair and it was like you had to wear sunglasses because you were getting so much glare off of every booth as, as people just blasted light out hey
0: look we put an led in a form factor and it's really
1: bright exactly it's getting better and we continue to progress kind of the state of the art when it comes to those sorts of things, to basically acceptability within, you know, and visual comfort within spaces, adaptability. People are starting, we're also sitting underneath some, some interesting shapes in the ceiling, which you never could have done with a T8 lamp. There's some adaptability associated with deploying the technology as we've done so far. The thing that we, I don't think that we have done on two fronts. One is enumerated terribly well the difference between I'm just putting out light uh, in a form factor and I'm putting out great light in a form factor in a way that is something that you can deterministically say, right? Something that's objective. And that's what we were talking about before. I think the second thing that we haven't done a great job, and it's not because nobody wanted to, it's because we just didn't have the information. We didn't have the data to be able to to figure it out. We haven't done a great job of doing light that is designed for people. Individuals spending, the statistics say, 94% of their time indoors but from a from a historical from an evolutionary standpoint we grew up with the sun uh, so we're indoors It's dim compared to outdoors and the spectrum looks very different from off of an LED, certainly off of a fluorescent fixture than the sun does. And so the opportunity there for us to come back and say, we ought to care about uh, light and essentially clean light or healthy light the same way we do about clean water or healthy food, because it's part of the diet that we as individuals consume, right? You have a light diet, just like you have clean water that you want to drink
0: and clean food that you want to eat. You Uh, want good light. You want good light. That you're surrounded by, whether you're inside or outside. Exactly. When you think about it, there's a lot here. There's a lot that we've talked about today. Looking at innovation moving forward, looking at the fact that if we were able to do even 10% of everything we've talked about today, a $50 billion industry continues to grow. It's inevitable that the industry is going to continue to grow. And there's kind of two things that can push it we can push ourselves or people can push our industry for us. It goes without saying, every industry wants to push itself. Take the automobile example, Ford, Volvo, BMW, these big brands. Oh, Tesla, what? I mean, you know, this guy was over here creating a... Uh, an e-commerce platform, and now he's just dominating the car market, and everybody's had to catch up to him. And they have, and now everybody's playing on a new playing field. But that industry didn't get to create its own new playing field. We're kind of on the precipice of that in the architectural lighting industry. We have sat around and done things the way we wanted to do them for 50, 60, 70 years. Across the board, not a lot has changed. We're sitting here today, and somebody could come out tomorrow, and they could say, We're going to get in the light fixtures. And I've heard every argument under the block about why it's never going to work or distribution or this, that, and the other thing. And the answer is innovation comes from outside of your industry. Doesn't matter who you are. Case in point, Tesla and cars. Yeah. Something can come and something can swallow us up tomorrow as an industry, which we don't want to do. We want to innovate and there's so many passionate people here. So how do we push forward? How do we find those right reasons to really come together and unify to actually create that opportunity, to push that research, to push that innovation, and to not only stand up for our social responsibility, but demand it.
1: I think using the examples from the past, should provide a roadmap for the future. So you you talked about Tesla entering and having the rest of the major manufacturers having to catch up. Well that's the best case scenario is someone showed up and they were the rabbit and they got the dogs off the porch, right? Everybody's gonna go and chase that one and and now everybody's everybody's moving. That's great. I mean what Elon has done for the car industry is actually jumpstart it by ten or twenty years by basically coming out here and saying yes it can be done and yes it can be successful. The flip side is Kodak. I have the way I do things. This is the way I've always done things. This is the way I make my money. I invent digital photography and then bury it because it threatens the way that I have traditionally done business. And then I get completely overwhelmed by everybody else in the industry that now takes that over to the point where Kodak is no longer known for anything really, right? Who out there is going and buying Kodak
0: branded product? I've just, I've got to say this. There might be people who literally don't know who Kodak is listening to this (laughs) podcast. I mean, it has been gone so long. Yeah. And Kodak, you know, in case you forgot, they made this stuff called film that you put on a camera that you took to a store to get developed. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. Let's see who put them out of business. Oh, yeah. company that didn't even make cameras. They made computers that plugged into your wall at one point in time. Yep. I'm holding one in my hand right now. It's extremely powerful. Yeah, no doubt. So we can learn from the past.
1: Yeah, so there are plenty of cautionary tales. We as an industry have to decide that the imperative for innovation overwhelms our imperative for competition. We have to say, okay, rather than me wanting to beat the next guy that's down the block, I want to participate in something that is collectively good for our industry and allows us all to basically benefit and move the industry forward. I've actually, I haven't had this conversation with lighting manufacturers. I actually have had this conversation with LED manufacturers. I've gone to senior leadership. uh, And of course that rotates so often now that those people are all gone now, but I've gone to senior leadership at LED manufacturers and said, hey, you guys should really collectively get together and do this because it would benefit all of us it it would benefit everybody and the answer was yeah we really don't right that's that's kind of not going to be our approach and the challenge those were conversations i had with people years and years ago the challenge that you see now is in the led industry they're they're headed more and more towards commoditization right And, and people are fighting for relevance right so Cree's LED business got sold off. Osram's LED business basically got bought and deprioritized by their new ownership. LumaLeds is probably the only one that's still uh, in North America doing a whole lot of uh, R&D and development around uh, solid state devices. And then you've got some of the folks that like Nichia and Sol Semiconductor that are still out there pushing on, on their ends. So you had this vibrant community of major multinationals that were doing tremendous amounts of research and development. And the point that they got to was that individually, none of them could push the technology forward fast enough to kind of get out in front of the oh it I just need something that creates light I mean they're they're the they're the basic building block of LED lighting and they're struggling now to make money and basically that's another cautionary tale right there right if you can take what was a multi-billion dollar business and collapse it down to something that gets sold off from uh, from Cree to the point where Cree says yeah I'm not super I I was this huge LED powerhouse. I'm not super interested in LEDs anymore. I'm going to go spend my time over here. Uh, We're just going to sell off this, this LED business. Did the same thing with their lighting business. Actually did it with their lighting business first. So that cautionary tale should be front and foremost for us to say, here's the reason why we ought to be cooperating, at least at some fundamental level? What are things that we can all agree on that all require research funding, advocacy in order to make sure that that we as an industry thrive? There's opportunities to see this modeled elsewhere. Automotive manufacturers have an association. That association lobbies for uh, regulations around collectively what goes on with automotive manufacturers. NEMA is a reasonable approach to doing that same sort of thing for electronics manufacturers. We can see these areas where competitive industries or competitive businesses have come together and said there are things that we all need and that we think our customers need. Uh, and they've come together to basically fund those independently of themselves. So it's not advocating for one manufacturer or another, but it's advocating for all manufacturers. And in the case of research, which is I think uh, an area that's just as required, there's places where we could say, well, yeah, you can't do this unless you have a $10 million research project as opposed to a quarter million dollar research project or a $500,000 research project.
0: And it's not fair to ask one company, one organization, one small group of people to fund all of that. Right. We have to, as an industry, say, let's do it. And we can sit around and talk about it and wait, which I'm guilty of with you here right now, or we can do something about it. Paul, this has been an amazing conversation. It's ridiculously thought-provoking. It's one that I can't wait to listen to a hundred more times and one that I'm super excited that we had the opportunity to share with everybody who listened today. If anyone has questions, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can reach out?
1: On LinkedIn, you can find me there, or you can reach out to me. uh, My email is paul.picard at chorus.com.
0: Paul, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Good luck as things continue to progress for you at Chorus and the entire Ecosense company. I'm sure you've got an idea or two about how you can help continue to push this innovation. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Sam.